With just one swing, home runs can be the ultimate game changer. At T-Mobile, they know how to change the game for good. They've doubled their LTE coverage to reach 309 million Americans and extended range LTE reaches two times farther and is four times stronger in buildings than before. Just as the network has you covered, T-Mobile has the home run derby covered too. Make sure you make your picks in T-Mobile's home run derby bracket challenge at T-Mobile.com backslash MLB for a chance to win a trip for four to game one of the World Series. T-Mobile, where we're changing the game for good. LTE doubled over 2015 and 2016. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Ends 7-10-16. Open to legal residents of the 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus. Void where prohibited. For official rules and complete details, visit MLB.com backslash bracket challenge. Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel. I'm joined as always by Bruce Feldman. And Bruce, today we reunite with our old friend, my old colleague from SI, Andy Staples, to talk about this is a novel concept now. We've spent a lot of time recently talking, just filling the offseason by talking about the Baylor scandal, other off field news. Last podcast, we ended up talking about the Warriors for 10 minutes. But with conference media days next week, the season is almost upon us. So, Andy, we were hoping you could help us talk about the 2016 season actual football believe it or not it's that time oh thank goodness let's just start out i mean what all right we're not going to go specifically sec media days or anything like that these conference media days are just you know when people first start kind of talking in earnest about the season ahead and all the coaches tell us how excited they are what storyline in all college football are you most excited about for this year well, the, the one that intrigues me the most is the SEC West, not necessarily who's going to win it, because I still think that's going to be Alabama. But, you know, you've got three really good coaches that are going to start the season basically on the hot seat and how that all shakes out, because, they, you know, everybody can't win every game, even when you're making four million bucks a year. And so, like, in a vacuum or in any other league, I don't think. We're talking about this with Gus Malzahn or Kevin Sumlin or Les Miles, but because they're coaching in the SEC West, this is a very real thing. And how do they handle that? I'm interested to see Kevin Sumlin at SEC Media Days next week because I I have a feeling his attitude is going to be much like it was the first time he came to SEC Media Days in 2012 when everybody was trying to ask him, you know, how scared are you? And and he's like, "Eh, I'll be fine because that's that's just how Kevin Sumlin is. Uh, But, you know... I'm curious to see how he responds because there are going to be a lot of questions about can he get through this? Mm. Andy, let, let me you know go off that a little bit. Uh, if I asked you, who do you think is on the hotter seat right now, Les Miles or Charlie Strong, who do you say and why? Ooh, that's tough. Because logic would tell you it has to be Charlie Strong because he's 11 and 14 in two years at Texas. And it's Texas and you don't go – 11 and 14 over a two-year period. But trajectory-wise and, and recent history-wise, I'd say they're about equal because, look, if Les loses to Alabama for a sixth consecutive time and then loses to – if he loses to Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss again, they're going to do something. But let's say he just loses to one of those teams and then loses to somebody else. There are going to be a lot of people clamoring for his job. Whether, whether that's fair or not is another question because, you know, obviously Nick Saban is maybe the best that's ever done this and maybe comparing all these other guys 
to Nick Saban is not fair, but that's who he's going to be compared to because that's who you're supposed to beat to get where you want. So while it should be obvious that it would be Charlie Strong, it's not that obvious. And the other thing is I think there's a little more wiggle room at Texas because they haven't been that successful lately. So I think he can – he doesn't have to have a 10-win season to stay. You know, they could win eight games, and if you win the right eight games, then he'll be back next year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, the measuring stick for LSU has been and will continue to be Saban and Alabama, and they haven't beaten him in five years. And if he, I think if he beats them this year, regardless of what they do in the other games, he will win back a lot of favor. But if he doesn't, yeah. you know, if he, if he loses, certainly gets crushed by Alabama – I mean, this is a team many people are expecting to contend for the national title. So, whereas at Texas, nobody's expecting that anytime soon. And I just think if he, you know, gets them back in the right direction, gets them a bowl game, shows that there's hope with a freshman quarterback in Shane Michelle, the um, the heat cools off a little bit there. On the on the Miles thing, by the way, Stu, and you just said this, it's been five years since uh, they had beaten Alabama. I, I just on back. I was like, we were. I think we were all at that game where it was. You know, they win in Tuscaloosa, but then, you know, a, a month, a couple of months later, they lose, they get dominated, you know, in their own backyard in the Superdome. And one of the things I kind of remember back about that was, you know, you had the really awkward press conference with T, with Bobby Bear and Les Miles. And, and I think, I think again, Stu and I talked about this a while, uh, probably a month ago, Andy, about just the kind of the nuttiness of, of the culture in a lot of places and the expectations are ridiculously sky high. And we used Auburn as that example, but I think LSU is really in that place as well. And I think this is you know, kind of testament to it. As much yeah. As well, and, and let's remember the last two meetings in Baton Rouge have been really tight. Some really wild finishes. So it, not, it, the losing streak probably shouldn't be this long. There's a little bit of, misfortune a little bounce of the ball also a little bit of don't commit a penalty when you can kick a chip shot field goal to win the game so i mean it, it's very interesting how those little tiny moments frame the greater narrative because i mean yeah lsu's lost five in a row to alabama should lsu have lost five in a row to alabama probably not should be three and two over the last five um, elsewhere, I mean, I don't think you can, uh, talk about college football these days without mentioning Jim Harbaugh every 15 seconds. Uh, and I feel like, okay, it's been quite a honeymoon between all the, um, pub he's gotten for satellite camps and then obviously having a very good season last year. Do you feel that this year though, he has to take them to that next level? They have to, you know, given Ohio state is re- is reloading completely. Uh, Michigan State losing Connor Cook and a few other guys that they need to beat one of their rivals and win that division this year for people to feel like oh yeah this is the Harbaugh effect. I don't think they have to win the division necessarily, but they have to beat one of those two. They have to show that they're going that direction and they have to have a good season. Uh, you know they can't just beat one of those two and then have a mediocre season and and then the honeymoon continues. But I think as long as they beat one of the two, even if they don't necessarily, if they don't win the division, if you think about it, if you can beat one of those two, you're probably good enough to win double-digit games 
you're probably in a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I think Michigan fans would be pretty happy with that, given what they went through you know, post-Lloyd Carr. So there's that. But here's the thing. If you get blown out by Ohio State again and then go to East Lansing and lose, where are you really? You know, Andy, I, I actually would distill it a little differently. I, I think I think they really need to beat Ohio State. I think if you, if you could pick which game you're going to win and which game you're going to lose. Oh, they'd they, definitely rather win and beat Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, they got beat by like 30 points last year at home by Ohio State, whereas Michigan State, you know, it was a fluky last play. You know, they ended up losing, but they were right, right there. Right, they should have won the game. They should have won the game, but I think they could, you know, look at that. But I think if you go back and you and you know you can do all the you know win all the recruiting battles and, and create all this social media buzz. And I look, I think Jim Harbaugh's done a really really good job, and I think he's going to do a great job there for as long as he stays. But when if, if they can't beat Ohio State in the first two games, especially coming off a blowout, even if they lose a close game. I think that is going to be really, really tough for them to to swallow because that's the one thing that will hang over them. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I think that, yes, of course, they want to be – Nobody has less starters coming back than Ohio State in the whole country. But there's a – but there's at least – they don't play them to the last game of the season. By then, I don't think these guys are going to be inexperienced anymore. It's in Columbus. Obviously, they want to win the game. But there's an at least acknowledgement that, okay, these guys are two years removed from winning the national title. They recruit as well as anybody in the country. It's there's no, it's not an indictment of Michigan if they don't beat Ohio State. Whereas no. Michigan State, you know, you remember the infamous Mike Hart little brother quote. I think it, it kills them to no end that Michigan State continues to beat them when the recruiting rankings say Michigan's getting the better players. Interesting. Well, if Harbaugh wants to make everybody really happy there he just beat them both but yeah that's, that solves it okay that was just solve all the problems but it is interesting with ohio state because while i think the honeymoon ends if you can't beat ohio state this year i, I don't think michigan fans would go in the tank like oh we'll never be there. but it is an interesting situation if ohio state clobbers them again because ohio state's not going to stop recruiting better players than almost everyone else that's going to keep going so at that point you've got to figure out a way to beat them and so that that's going to get probably a little frustrating if they can't figure out a way to even that up but i i I think given harbaugh's past he certainly seems to know how to build a team that can compete with anybody all right andy we've talked about some of the glamour schools i want to do an over under thing for you here uh, over under on Group of Five Houston making the playoff. If I put it at fifteen percent this year, what do you take? Under. Under as in like five percent, or under as in like I mean, do you think ten ten percent maybe? I and mean, they got an open against Oklahoma. That's the problem. It, you know, you can only really lose two if you're them, and you probably can't lose. But you probably can't lose any. You can't lose any if you're them. I, you yeah. you got to run the table. Yeah, so, I mean, they could be off first week. I mean, do we agree that Oklahoma's a better team than Houston? No. Do we think Oklahoma's better? We don't? Okay. I, I Bruce don't. is I the world's biggest Houston proponent. I, I think they're very good. I don't think anybody could say 
that they're a better team than an Oklahoma team that was in the college football playoff last year and returns all the you know key stars on offense doesn't mean they can't beat they, them wait, but they don't return all the key stars on offense they do have the great quarterback and two really good running backs but they also lost the best receiver they had by far uh they lost the bulk of their front seven they lost their best cornerback um you know i i don't I don't think they're they were that much better if than Houston at the end of last year. If if you have Greg uh, Greg Ward healthy and where Oklahoma was late last year, and I think like again, I think Oklahoma lost a lot of really good players. Yeah, I I just I think they running the table is going to be hard. The eleven seventeen against Louisville. Mm-hmm. Now that is, is really that is Houston, at Houston. It's a Thursday night. Yeah. I think I think Louisville is going to be really good. I think that I think you're on on that too as well. And I don't know if anybody is close to them athletic athletically in the AAC. But right, yeah, Louis, Louisville's an interesting one. Now they don't have to play South Florida in the regular season schedule. They may have to see them in December. South Florida is going to be a, a tough out for everybody in the American because of the way they play. They're good. They're they're different. I mean, they, Willie Taggart comes from the the Jim Harbaugh school. They're going to pound you. Uh, it's not what you're used to. And if it's if it's something you have to see at the end of a very hard season, that could be pretty tough. Stu, are you with Andy that it's under fifteen percent? I might give it a little bit higher than that. I mean, I'd say pretty low if it were in Norman, but it is in Houston, although neutral site. I uh, put it at twenty five percent. Um, good yeah so okay another story we we had uh penciled in here obviously i think this is as strong a group of returning heisman candidates as we've had in a long time now of course we know that given the you know it's also it's often bad to be the preseason heisman favorite or for one of the favorites because as soon as you slip up everybody switches to the new flavor of the month but as of today andy who's your heisman favorite I guess I'll go with the guy I had number one on my ballot last year, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. But the, see, I, I don't know that anybody's going to get cursed. I, like Watson, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, I don't think any any of those three get cursed because I think if you asked 100 people, you'd get a pretty good distribution for each guy. So I don't think anybody's going to get cursed by that. I just – I do think the way we, we follow the, the sport 24-7 now – it actually does work to the advantage of somebody we're not talking about right now who happens to come on strong in October, November. Because these guys are competing not only against each other and the rest of the field, they will be compared all season long to what they did last season. So Christian yeah. McCaffrey broke the all-time, all-purpose yards record. And if he you know, has a good season but doesn't do that, right. can he still win the Heisman? If Leonard Fournette uh, has a good season but doesn't run for – more yards than he did last season, can he win the Heisman? You know, that's that's what makes it tough for the guys who come in with all the buzz. Which is interesting because Leonard Fournette could do worse than he did last season, but if he runs for 200 against Alabama and they win, he has a better chance to winning. I definitely agree with that. I, you know, what Stu just said to me, or you just said about Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> you know, they have – Maybe they try to get Bryce Love more touches. There's you know, a new quarterback situation. The offense might not be as good. The offensive line might not be as good. I think it's going to be really hard for him to get to those numbers. And you know, he still didn't win the Heisman last year. 
Right. And and Watson, we we know what Watson can do, but can he replicate that? Well, he, he has, has one bad has, day, one uh, bad day in Tallahassee. It might be over. He has his best receiver coming back. We didn't have last year. I mean, this yeah. offense should be. You know, they think it'll be a lot better than it was last year. And that's saying something. Let well, me ask you guys this: Can I, in this, you know, era we're in now, where they're basically the the playoff race has overtaken everything else about the sport, can a guy still win the Heisman without his team reaching the playoff? Ooh, that's going to be interesting. So the last person who kind of would qualify for this would that be Tebow? No, it would be uh, RG3. RG3, okay. That's tough. Well, Manziel didn't reach the national That's title true. game. But they were coming on strong and had and he beaten did the beat team out that won the that. national title on their home field. So, yeah. I mean, because when you think about Derrick kind of Henry, nothing against Derrick yeah. Henry last season, but if Alabama loses one more game and he puts up the exact same stats – and and if Stanford, you know, doesn't lose to Northwestern and does make the playoff, I think McCaffrey probably wins. Probably. I think if McCaffrey had a bigger game against Notre Dame, I think he would might have won. No, I think once Henry, you know, once Henry did what he did against LSU and then they didn't lose again, uh, it was going to be hard for anybody to overtake him just because there's just such a spotlight on Alabama and whoever, you know, wins the SEC championship. Well, if that's the case, it sounds like Stu, your 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 front runner would be Mr. Fournette going into the year. Yeah, I I don't know. I think my front runner. I would agree with Andy. I think it's Deshaun, Deshaun Watson because he that was the last uh, memory everybody has of last season was the fantastic game he had against Alabama. Notice how often we keep mentioning Alabama either as a measuring yeah. stick or you know catapulting a guy like Derrick Henry. Can well, I ask? I, I want to ask. Yeah, go ahead. Let me pick up on the Alabama thing. So who do you think Alabama will miss more this, this year? I'll give you four four choices. Okay. Kirby, Kirby Smart, Derrick Henry, Jacob Coker, Ryan Kelly. Ryan, Ryan Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> you knew Andy was going to say I that. Know, I know, I know. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Kelly and Kirby Smart are close, though. So. You know, because, look, Jeremy Pruitt runs the same defense. We don't know how well that's going to go, how he's going to mesh with Nick Saban. Obviously, he coached DBs at Alabama under Nick Saban. So if you can handle that, you can probably handle anything. But Interesting that neither one of you guys mentioned the Heisman Trophy winner. Just because it, it be- feels like they have a they always have, like somebody. They have a lot of skill position talent, not necessarily – like they're going to – we don't know they're going to have a superstar at running back. We don't know if Damian Harris or Bo Scarborough is going to be a superstar. We do know they have a great – burner on the outside in Calvin Ridley. We do know they have a specimen at tight end in OJ Howard. We know they're going to be, you know, pretty good on the line, no matter what. Um, quarterback's going to be interesting to see how they, how they handle it, but they got some options this year. I, I think the Alabama offense might look a lot more like it looked in 2014, but with a better player than Blake Sims running it. You know, speaking of the Heisman, it just, it just occurred to me, a guy that never gets mentioned yet has finished in the top five in the Heisman at one point is JT Barrett. And he is unquestionably the face of Ohio State now. See, that's, that's the thing. We, we talk about all the guys coming back. If Ohio State's players click together, let's say they go to Oklahoma and win, and they're just ripping through the Big Ten, and you come down to that game against Michigan, and it's, it's you know two top ten teams going at it for the Big Ten East title, and Barrett has a huge game. Barrett's winning the Heisman. I mean... 
you think about it. If he's putting up huge numbers, he's going to be in the mix. I mean, I saw, you know, everybody right now is doing these lists of the, you know, 100 best players in the country. Where it might have been your site. I don't remember. But somebody did it, and, and Barrett wasn't in the top 50. And I'm thinking, how did he go from being a top five guy two years ago? He obviously, you know, didn't start for much of last year, which, you know, set him back in terms of his reputation. But once he did take over, he looked like himself. How does he become forgotten almost? Well, and we know now because they figured – see, Ohio State didn't figure out what was wrong until the Michigan State game and afterward when Ezekiel Elliott told them what was wrong. And then they fixed it. Their offense was not running – as efficiently as it did in 2014 because they weren't getting plays in. They, they figured it out when they moved Warner up to the press box how much smoother everything ran. And they're going to do that all season now. By the they're way, gonna... did, you, did you like how Stu just dismissively went in your site? Might have been your site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You worked there longer than I have, man. <laughs> uh, I actually don't. The list I'm thinking of, I do not, I do not think that was SI.com actually. Now I can't remember where, where JT came in on that list because we haven't we haven't gotten to the end of it yet. So, but no, I mean, it does feel like he's a little bit forgotten, and I think people. It's interesting. Everyone's assuming Ohio State's going to be good because they've been recruiting so well. We just don't know how they're going to be good. I, I don't think be good. I, it's been a little surprising to me how much faith people have in them. Uh, yeah, John Wilner had him number one. Remember, we had Wilner on. He's the pre, that's yeah. a preseason number one. Athlon I think had him number three. No team I can ever I can't ever recall a national you know power team like this having to replace that many guys in one year. I don't see how you don't have a setback. It it, it will be hard. But I think a lot of that has to do with three factors. You mentioned JT Barrett. He's a proven commodity, a quarterback. That's a key position. The middle linebacker, the quarterback of the defense, very good. And then the third thing, which I think is the biggest thing, is uh, Urban Meyer. And this is going to lead me into a question for you. And Urban Meyer, I think we all think he is one of the two or three best coaches in college football. And so he gets the benefit of the doubt. A year ago this time, I think a lot of people gave – uh, Auburn a lot of that benefit of the doubt and gave Gus Malzahn that going into the year. I think some people picked they would go to the playoff and everything. There was a lot of question marks, but it was like, hey, it's Gus Malzahn. Uh, what do you think he needs to do to kind of, besides just win, what do you think needs yeah. to happen for him to kind of reclaim his position in a lot of people's eyes, much less get off the hot seat? The offense has to work. It, that's the craziest thing for me in terms of benefit of the doubt. I'm still willing to give Gus Malzahn a, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Since he came to college from, from high school, he's never had a bad offense until last year. That's a pretty good run. Didn't you say, by the way, didn't you say that Will Muschamp had never coached a bad defense until he got to last year there, too? It's true. Well, okay, so the 2014 or 2015 Auburn Tigers broke a lot of, uh, broke a lot of molds there. But, yeah, no, it, I mean – 06 Arkansas is kind of weird because they didn't quite let him do what he wanted to do. But they still, I mean, that team won the SEC West. So, yeah, I just, I still believe in him as an offensive coach. But that offense is very quarterback dependent. Now, it doesn't have to have Cam Newton running it. You saw with Nick Marshall what they could do. And Nick Marshall's an NFL cornerback. But, 
I'm not so sure that John Franklin the is the answer either. He's super fast, but man, is he small. And it's when you imagine him running the zone read against teams like Mississippi State and LSU, where yes, he's very fast, but their guys are really fast too and much, much bigger. That's a scary thought because Nick Marshall's a big dude. Nick Marshall's 6'1, 215. John Franklin's like 175, 180. He is not a big guy. Yeah, I think also that could be the difference. Greg Ward isn't much bigger than that from Houston. And he's he not take dealing the hits though. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. He's not dealing with, you know, every SEC defense. I mean, I just did this story, uh, not to say they would face Vandy, but Vandy, who a lot of people see as a doormat, I mean, their linebackers are studs. You know, you see that in that league. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's the craziest thing is Vandy and Missouri's defenses are fantastic. There, there are almost zero bad defenses in that league. There's some really bad offenses, but defensively, yeah, you're going to get pounded. Um. Okay, Bruce put this question in, but here you want to you want to go ahead. It's your question. Go ahead and ask it. Is this the food question? It is because we know we can't have Andy on and not ask about food. You got it. No, you you can ask it, Stu. By the way, speaking of food, you know I'm a big sandwich enthusiast. On mm-hmm. my road trip back from uh, Tahoe this past weekend, I had for the first time ever Firehouse subs. Aha. Uh-huh. Which surprised me you never had them before. I, I, we don't have it. I, I don't, just never seen in the location. I don't think I've eaten one in years. I mean, they have them where I live. I just Immediately sort up my list. It's it's high up there. Get the um, the New I'm York have steamer. have to try this again. Yeah, get okay. the New York steamer if you, uh, if you have a chance there. Um, okay, this is what Bruce wanted to know. <laughs> How many times have you gotten food poisoning from these food excursions? Uh, none. The only two times I've gotten food poisoning, one was uh, the pulled pork before a women's basketball game I was covering at Tennessee. Oh, brutal. The the other we're not sure about uh, was either a bad smoothie from the mall or some <laughs> bad pizza from one of the chains. It is very ironic that Andy Staples, could, one of the rare times he gets food poisoning is from a smoothie. <laughs> I, that's a, this is what people don't get. So the meals I tweet out, those are the interesting ones. But you notice I only tweet those out about once a week. So the other 20 meals are usually fairly boring. They're salads. They're smoothies. I had a smoothie this morning. I made it, made it myself. Fresh bananas, what, fresh blueberries. If you had to guess, and I could guess myself because I've been with you quite a bit on the road, the highest fat content of a single meal you've had was where? Oh. It was at Killen's Barbecue. I went with David Bassetti, who's the, the SID from Houston. Uh, Killen's Barbecue in Pearland, Texas. Because we got the Wagyu brisket and the Wagyu beef rib. And then some other, a bunch of other stuff, too. I mean, that had to be. What's funny is I, I'm not sure I wound up eating as much of it. Because as, as if you've been reading your scientific literature, fat is what tells your brain you're full. I mean, fat causes your brain to release that chemical that says you're full. So you don't end up eating as much. And so, like that, that meal was so heavy. I felt like after a few bites, I was done. Mm. You, right, you this... can eat a lot more if you're eating a lot of filler, like bread and stuff. I want to make an awkward transition here, as we sometimes do. Uh, as we tape this, it is Thursday morning, 
last night, I, there was a lot of real world news I noticed dominating uh, my timeline when I was looking at Twitter. It was very emotional. I would say it was much bigger than college sports. Uh, I preface this by saying a, a couple of weeks ago, I took part in a, in a, uh, a media roundtable on Andy's site. Uh, through Richard Deitch's media column about whether you know whether sports media people should be talking politics on social media or in general, and my position was it's not you know it's not my job to talk politics. Uh, I just don't feel like I'm not paid. I'm not paid to do that. That was not what I was hired for. I think it's a very polarizing and very personal uh, you know matter. You're either preaching to the choir. For the people who believe with what you believe or you're going to come across as insulting and, and condescending or demeaning or, or just off base to the people who don't believe what you believe. But I think this this what I'm talking about from last night kind of falls into a different realm. So I want to ask you guys both. How do you respond? I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Sometimes people listen to podcasts well after the fact you are referring to the shooting in Minnesota in Minnesota. Yeah. A police shooting. Oh, Coming man. on the heels of a shooting in Baton Rouge. Right. Baton Rouge. And the Baton Rouge one, I'll add to a little context, is because it happened, you know, L- LSU is in Baton Rouge. You would see, a, you know, shows up on your timeline a lot more when, you know, the media you follow is tweeting about it. But also the some players, you know, are are voicing their their concerns and their frustrations as well. And so that adds to the discourse. So. How do you guys respond to that when something like this is unfolding? Do you feel compelled to respond? Do you feel compelled that, you know, you need to stay away? I mean, what goes through your mind? I don't really feel compelled to respond. I think, you know, it it is my Twitter feed. You know, it's not SI's Twitter feed. It's mine. So I'm obviously welcome to express my opinions. But I don't feel like that's why most people follow me. I don't feel like that's what people are interested in hearing from me. I have thoughts on stuff, but generally I just keep that to myself and friends and family. I mean, I just I'd rather not argue about that stuff in public. Yeah, I feel compelled to lay out and even to the point uh you know, if it's something I remember uh there was when there was the Paris terrorist attack, when it's something to that level, like I won't even tweet about sports during that time. I just kind of like yeah, lay that's, out that's and the say, thing. you know, and that, we don't work for Twitter, yeah. so it's not like it changes our our paycheck or anything. But yeah, that I'll look sometimes, see what's going on, and if I have something to say about some sports issue, I just this isn't the time, and and close it down because um, I just don't think that that's the thing. You just say nothing, and, and the thing about social media is the world moves on pretty quickly. Do you feel like? So, I mean, I agree with what you both just said about, you know, kind of what, if it's something that of that magnitude, just sports is not appropriate at the time. Do you do you feel like that uh, just like when do you think, OK, this is, you know, this is where I feel like, OK, it's it's appropriate to move on. I, that's a that's a tough one. I just kind of read the temperature of the room for lack of a better phrase. I mean, do you think it's, does it appear tone deaf when you see somebody else tweeting something like last night while this was going on was also, there was like UFC news because John Jones was, was, 
you know, in hot water and out of UFC 200. So people are tweeting that. And it just, no, I, it's just kind of an interesting window. I think you got to do your job. I think people are interested in what they're interested in. Like I was trying to chase that Jared Stidham, Jared Stidham story last night. And if I'd have gotten it confirmed, I would have written about it and, and tweeted about it. There have been a lot of celebrity deaths this year. Mm-hmm. And, and celebrity is not even the right term. I mean, people like Pat Summit, just icons in sports in particular. And so when that happens, like, you know, your timeline becomes just almost entirely people paying their tributes. And then there'll be one like, you know, somebody do like Andy just said, doing their job, putting out news that's relative to their beat. And you'll at first you'll think, yeah, it's just the wrong time for that. But then you, you have to remember, like you said, like. Their followers are not your followers. Their job is different than your job. Like you can't right, and there's still do. there are people interested in everything. So you you can't necessarily worry about that and you can't really worry about what people on Twitter feel like necessarily anyway. That's a very small echo chamber compared to the real world. It's such an echo chamber. It's unbelievable. And this this is another thing and you guys and I have talked about this and you know and I mentioned it a couple times, I think, either on Twitter or, or in chats and stuff. My politics are very different from the rest of people in the media for the most part. So it doesn't really do me any good to say anything. Well, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the famous, this came up during the OJ stuff, the, the famous Michael Jordan line. that um... <laughs> Republicans buy sneakers too. Yeah, well, you know, whichever party you are – half the country is the other party and but they read your columns too so what's what's the good of alienating half your audience the thing about me is i i'm probably more libertarian than anything else so i have beliefs that tick off both parties so i I can potentially tick off everybody if i really just wanted to say what i felt i think that's a lot of people andy i really do feel like because i have some some opinions that I think fall would fall into the category of on the Republican side. And I have some other opinions that fall on the category of the Democratic side. And I think that that's, you know, I, I know we know people who are probably all in one camp, but I feel like a lot of people are that way where they, you know, there it's, it's some from the column, this column, some from that and some where it doesn't really apply to, to either where you're just so kind of disgusted by what you see maybe right. from, from all politics. Yeah, and that's another reason why I don't get involved. I mean, the other part you got to remember is for a lot of people, politics is their sports. It's they don't turn on sports talk radio. They turn on political talk radio when they get in the car. Um, they don't watch ESPN or, or Fox Sports One all day. They watch Fox News or CNN all day. So, you know that that's while these are also deeply held beliefs for people, and that's, it's much more personal for people all these issues, but it's, they're still treating it as entertainment. I don't treat it as entertainment. These are my deeply held personal beliefs. I don't necessarily feel like arguing them in public. Let me ask you guys one. I just, just thought of this. It's much less serious than what you're talking about right now. Uh, but I did tweet, um, when, when Dwayne Wade, uh, you know, that news came out last night and there was this immediate like, oh, he's, you know, he, he wasn't loyal to Miami in the end. And I said, imagine if, uh, imagine if every American's career choices were scrutinized the way professional athletes are. And you would say, how dare that accountant leave for a better job? Exactly. It kind of, it kind of puts it in perspective. But of course, I got back all of these, how dare you say that? 
you know, we the fans are so invested in these teams and these players, it's not remotely the same as an accountant. No, it's exactly the same. An accountant doesn't have, you know, millions of people watch paying, you know, paying money and that that pays a salary and all that. Okay, I get that. I'm not saying like a fan shouldn't feel jilted if the player leaves. What's bothering me both with Durant and this is why would a completely unaffiliated journalist or That's pundit or whatever yeah. you say criticize a guy for changing jobs? We've all changed jobs. Well, in our field, more more than most, because especially in this one day of the ways age. one of the ways you get started in this business is hopping around, and so it's the only way to get a raise. And everybody, so, and ever, I would assume almost any one of the commentators who says that about Dwayne Wade would leave tomorrow if suddenly some somebody came and offered him more money too. Yeah, well, that's that's why I went on. I don't normally go off topic, well, unless it's food, but I consider that one of my topics. But I, I sent out a tweet about Duran. I said, "Work where you want, man. It's cool." I mean, yeah. I don't understand why we care this much. Unless you're a Warriors fan or or a Thunder fan, in the case of Durant, who cares? Well, people and care because this has such a huge ramification on the sport. Apparently, it's also bad if you want to go work for the best company. Like Stuart, your wife should not have gone to work for Google. Google's yeah. too good of a company. She should have gone. She should have stayed <laughs> somewhere middling. Well, be and and, and I, really I get where it. you're going with that, but that would only work. That analogy would only work if she was previously working at Facebook. Well, I know, know or like or someone, some direct competitor. Well, no, to it wouldn't be Facebook. It'd have to be some sort of more upstarty, you know, type thing. Because if Durant be had gone from the uh, Sacramento Kings, I don't think anybody would have this, you know, visceral reaction. It's that he went. It's some people are just offended by the fact that he went from the team that he was directly competing with in the conference finals. That he just yeah. he lost them, so he went and joined them. But at the end of the day, again. I just think people have a tough time grasping that athletes well, are, are people and people think, and they are employees like anybody else. I think people are obsessed with where people work and I, I'm no different. Like I love the gossip about who's going where. Love it, especially in our business. And it's, it's interesting because the people who report on who goes where in our business, that's become a pretty good industry. I mean it's 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 a big deal. People love reading about who's going from ESPN or – coming to ESPN and uh, you know I didn't think people were that interested but they are yeah I was um I think Bruce and I have been well first of all you mentioned your you know Bruce mentioned your colleague Richard Deitch he's made a whole living off of that I can remember when Richard was uh, 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 uh just a modest uh special projects editor who would occasionally write about women's basketball was he uh, actually modest at that stage of his career though um no uh, <laughs> he's far more modest in person than he than he appears on Twitter. I yeah, promise. he does play a role on Twitter. There's no question about that. But you know, he has a media podcast now where he interviews uh, various people from around the sports media, and it's very popular. Bruce and I will occasionally get into sports media topics on here, and we'll find ourselves we'll say our fact, oh, I think we might have gotten to inside baseball, and then people we'll get back it. all these you know feedback. No, we love that stuff. I am. It's a little odd that there are so many people interested in movement or whatever in our profession. This is goes. I mean, this kind of goes into Andy's uh, brand, if you will, a little bit. Um, years ago, when I was uh, doing insider stuff at ESPN, 
I, one of the readers I've turned out was like one of my neighbors and it's a guy I became friendly with Keith Arnold. He's, he runs a Notre Dame blog now for NBC. Uh, but anyway, I had beers with Keith for the first time. And I remember him saying something along the lines of people like when you talk about real, real, like in my old blog, I would talk about what movies I saw and it was a lot more, I mean, I don't do that stuff anymore and you know, at Fox and certainly in this role, but you know, he taught, he was telling me and it kind of surprised me that there was that much of an interest in that. And obviously, you know, with, with Andy, I think there's a level of voyeurisms of people seeing, wow, because you, most people don't get to travel to the, some of the places you right. get to travel to certainly have those meals. And honestly, some of us, you know, even with you don't have the, so, so some of you just don't want to, cause you'd like to live for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, no, but that's, I think there is a level of, of it humanizes things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I try to, to respond to as many people as I can on Twitter. And uh, I don't want to be throwing stuff down from an ivory tower. I I don't think I'm that different from most people other than stomach capacity. And, and don't people want to give you, you know, and maybe not in your case because you're kind of down the road on this. But most people, when you say, hey, I'm going to Starkville, Mississippi, or I'm going to Ames, Iowa for the first time. Those people who went to school there or live there, they can't wait to give you food recommendations. Sure, because everybody's proud of their place. Yeah, and it's everybody wants you to like it too. Yeah. All right, before we let you go, Andy, I you know, you you are uh, uh, a prominent SiriusXM radio personality. Tell us, make sure the listeners know where to find you. Sunday with Staples, we're on every Sunday. The the time has bounced around quite a bit during basketball, college baseball season. Uh, but we believe it'll be moving back into it. It'll definitely be our usual 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time slot this week, previewing SEC media days, and then should move back into that slot for the rest of the season. And uh, come, come, subscribe, call. It's a lot of fun. We don't, we don't like being very serious on that show. One of the a all- lot of serious talk radio hosts. I am not one of them. Would you say that one of the five all-time great moments on your show was when you tried to, <laughs> when you tried to interview me from the Cotton Bowl last year, and I was in like, I mean, people joke like you sound like you're in a wind tunnel. I really was in a wind tunnel in the parking garage of the hotel, and I kept like moving around the garage trying to find the right spot that I could actually hear you guys. It had to be one of the worst interviews in radio history. It was great radio. That that's the part people don't get. The worst interviews in radio history are the best interviews in radio history because something's happening. You can have some fun with it. It's the it's the people that come on and be like, "Hi, yeah, we're just taking it one game at a time." Those are the ones that stink. Do you find that Stewart and Wind Tunnel is fantastic? Do you who? So I'm curious. Do you find that because you have coaches on your show, but you also have mm-hmm. writers and, and do you find that the coaches are often the least interesting guests? Yes, I like to have writers on the show because they're good at talking, and people want to listen. So I want the people who are best at talking. Ideally, you have a person who is involved who is great at talking. So that's why Matt Rule from Temple, the coach at Temple, is a phenomenal guest because he's a very good football coach and a very good talker. We had P.J. Fleck. I I was filling in on the morning show this morning. We had P.J. Fleck from Western Michigan. He's fantastic. Bielema is great. Rich Rodriguez is great. Kevin Sumlin is great. There there are some guys out there that are great interviews, but – you know, if you're going to be boring, I just assume 
I'll call up one of my writer friends who I know I can talk to. All right. I, we encourage you to listen to Andy's show and follow him uh, on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples. That's me. That is him. And read, All right, and read Punt, Pass, and Pork every Monday on SI.com. All right. All right. We'll see you in Hoover, Andy. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, Bruce, we will return to the podcast in a second. But this week, we are fortunate to have two uh, sponsors. The first one, of course, our friends at books.com. Bruce, what is rule number one of Mandem? Uh, always please your woman. Yep. Well, actually, it's no matter what you do around the house, you're likely to screw it up. So Books can help you smooth out pretty much anything. Just send flowers from Books.com. No woman in her right mind would turn away a piece. It's almost like they think that one of us has recently screwed up something in our household. No woman in her right mind would turn away a peace offering of Books flowers. Books flowers are grown at eco-friendly farms on the side of a volcano. Seriously, a volcano. Blooms are larger, colors more vibrant, it's a better soil, and more sun at a lofty 10,000 feet. Gorgeous flowers from Books.com, hand-delivered to your girl, say, we're still good, right? Now I'm really curious, <laughs> what was the impetus of this of this promo? Uh, it's, it's sure geared toward people who screwed up. Uh, we're all humans, do, and guys screw up a lot. I'm curious right. how many women actually go this route and be like, yeah, honey, I uh, here, take this. Books prices start at a mere 40 bucks. There are no upcharges, no extra fees. Even delivery is absolutely free when you register with the Books. So, oh, here's the best part. Listeners of our show, save 20% off the bouquet of your choice. Just go to books.com and enter promo code AUDIBLE. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code AUDIBLE. All right, Stu, it's my turn. Let's talk T-Mobile. With just one swing, home runs can be the ultimate game changer. You follow baseball, right, Stu? Yeah, that, that works. Yeah. Uh, at T-Mobile, they know how to change the game for good. They've doubled their LTE coverage to reach 309 million Americans and extended range LTE reaches two times farther and is four times stronger in buildings than before. Just as the network has you covered, T-Mobile has a home run derby covered too. Make sure you make make your picks in T-Mobile's Home Run Derby Bracket Challenge at T-Mobile.com backslash MLB for a chance to win a trip for four to game one of the World Series. We have the World Series, though, don't we? Yeah, and, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, that'll mean a trip to Chicago. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. And if you go to the World Series, uh, Stu can probably hook you up with, maybe you can have beers with his uh, mentor Pete Rose, perhaps Cincinnati guy. I don't think I can make that happen, but we know people who could make that happen. Okay. Well, at the very least, we could get you introduced to a very salty, sarcastic producer who will be hanging out with Pete. Uh, T-Mobile, where we're changing the game for good. LTE doubled over 2015 and 2016. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Ends 7-10-16. Open to legal residents of the 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus. Void where prohibited. For official rules and complete details, visit MLB.com backslash bracket challenge. That is the bracket challenge for the Home Run Derby. Back to the podcast. Okay, Bruce, before we wrap up this week, uh, we're going to take a little trip down memory lane for you. Uh, next week 
is that week in the calendar where it's the All-Star Week and it's the ESPYs. It didn't used to be SEC Media Days Week, but it is now. But it's also the ESPYs. And the reason I think of that is because I remember very vividly, and I'm sure you do too, what happened at the ESPYs five years ago this coming week. Yeah, you know, so a few months ago when you first brought up this fifth year anniversary coming up of Free Bruce, you know, I thought about it, you know, it was really the first time I had thought about it in a while when, you know, when you brought it up on the podcast, it was kind of out of left field. And afterwards, when my wife got home from work, I said, does it seem like it's really been five years since that? And we both kind of agreed that, yeah, it really does. It seems like it doesn't seem like just yesterday. So much has changed. Uh, so, you know, it was, I got to say, it was the most surreal time. Like you though, I think I told, gave you this analogy before, uh, you know, it really felt like when I was watching social media, like I was, you're looking down at your own funeral. So let's catch people up in case they aren't familiar with what happened. And we're not going to rehash all the details of, no, you're falling out with ESPN over the Mike Leach book that, that was a long time ago. That's history. People can Google it if they want to find out. This is specifically about the really wild social media movement that sprang up. So, in fact, I just realized another really surreal aspect of this story. Who on the internet broke the news of your suspension? Sports by Brooks. The the guy who has mysteriously vanished from the face of the earth in the last couple of years. And people are desperately trying to find. Anyway, he puts out there what happened and... You know, your friends in the in the media very quickly rallied around you, started. I don't know who started. Do you know who started the hashtag you know, Free Bruce? After you brought that up, I went back and tried to do a Twitter search. And the person who seems to have been the first person that I saw who mentioned it was Lisa Horn, who actually, used, I think at the time, worked at Fox Sports. Uh, I know Lisa. Jason Whitlock uh, uh, was very quick on I'm going to get to the Jason Whitlock thing in a second. But what was interesting is the Lisa Horn tagged Free Bruce onto a r- manual retweet of a Travis Haney. Travis Haney, read what every national regional beat writer says about Bruce Feldman, da, 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 whatever. Travis actually was an intern at ESPN Magazine, and you know we were friendly back then. I mean, we're still friendly now, but he he was one of two people who ended up like he took over the dot com job I had, and then Kevin Valken, Kevin Van Valkenberg was on the magazine side, and I think those guys were both supportive of that at the time. You know, not that you know they didn't work at ESPN back, at the time. They did not, and they ended up subsequently going to ESPN. But it was funny you mentioned the Jason Whitlock part of it. So my. Uh, I was not online throughout all this. I was kind of dealing with what was going on. So when I find out this thing is starting to blow up, I got a call from a player agent who I don't even know that well. It's not like he's like a guy I talk to regularly. But he called me and goes, man, I'm so sorry about what's going on. I, I just saw online. I'm like, you saw what? And I flipped open my laptop and I was like, what the hell is going on? I was I didn't know it had gotten out. I didn't know any of the layers of it. Um, but my wife was on the road in Chicago working. And I had called her at one point and just said, hey, there's some crazy stuff going on. And then she goes, well, listen, I'm about to go through security. I'll call you back in a couple of minutes. And she got through security and at some point... You know, I don't know if I was on the other line or whatever. And she 
and she said, what the hell is going on? I just looked on Twitter and Jason Whitlock changed his avatar to your face. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had honestly, I, I, now I know him a little bit now, but I had done Jason Whitlock's radio show maybe one time. You know, I don't think I, you know, ever had any conversation outside of that with him. So I didn't know him. Now, a lot of the people, you know, we had Andy Staples on our podcast. Obviously, I know Andy really well. Um, you know, so it was it was crazy. I mean, the next morning, I remember waking up and, you know, Pete Thamel, who we go way back with, had called. And he knows my wife very well. And he called and he just said, you know, the New York Times media columnist Richard Sandemir was reaching out and I was just like pretty much every time you know my wife got a call I would say you can't say anything or it has to be off the record or whatever and this was with not even media people like one time she was on she was on the phone with one of her you know best friends who has nothing to do with the media she's like an accountant and uh I was like you got to say off the record she goes you just shut up she doesn't know what off the record is it's not important I was like yeah but I just don't want anything appearing on Facebook or anything like that or it's just so bizarre. Uh, I just did a quick Google search to see if I could find my tweets from that period. And sure enough, somebody had um, some blog I've never heard of had uh, put them all into one place, though. They spelled my last name M-A-N-D-E-L-L. Uh, yeah, I, get, I was pretty fired up. One of the finest writers in the profession was suspended today because of a company's own irresponsible journalism. Hashtag free Bruce. If you appreciate journalists who do their job professionally and with respect, then boycott ESPN. Seriously. I'll still. Yeah. <laughs> and then it appears it's the next morning. It's 10 a.m. Has ESPN reversed? Oh, my gosh. This is this is probably the most um, fired up I've ever been on Twitter. Has ESPN reversed its spineless, unjustifiable suspension of Bruce Feldman yet? No? Then away we go. Free Bruce. And finally, uh, ESPN suspended a fine journalist. Protect an announcer who spews cliches every Thursday. ESPN thinks you're stupid, America. Free Bruce. Wow. Uh, Probably just cost myself a chance of ever working at ESPN by uh, regurgitating those tweets. Opposite Stephen A. Smith on first take. Uh, Uh, And I was a finalist for that job. (laughs) The uh, the thing I you know I remember bits and pieces of you know like the the aftermath of that of you know the next week. I do remember you along with like a handful of my you know people I would say really close friends who I didn't either respond to or. you know, get back to on the phone and you went into complete radio silence for a while there. Like we talked pretty regularly even then before we were coworkers and you know, you just vanished. I couldn't, I didn't hear from you for weeks. Yeah. I remember, I think I was coming back from Bristol and I think I got like the third message from you was, and I was like, Hey, just let me know you're okay or something. So I, I followed that up and I think I called and you know, like a week had passed or so. I think I did the same with, with Ted Miller and a couple other people where I'd make the calls. But the only people I really felt comfortable talking to in the middle of it were people completely out of the media. Um, and I will say this, Joe Tessitore and I and uh, Martin Cotabashian, who was our producer on the Roll Tide War Eagle, we were still working on that. So uh, Joe, I had told stuff to. But outside of that, it was, it was really nobody. Um, it was just, like I said, it was so surreal about how it unfolded. The thing that I, I would say was a very big positive for me was it, it changed my perspective on some things. And I, what I'll say to this is, um, yes, I'm grateful for guys like you and Andy and, all, and you know the media colleagues and friends I have, but also 
um, the outpouring I got from readers as well as other people in the media who I probably don't know as well, uh, it really, it changed my perspective in this regard. Like I, now if I see stuff on Facebook where it's like friends, you know, babies or whatever, or people, I don't even people I don't know that very well, or somebody going through something, I'm more likely to respond in some way to show support of the random stuff, because I think it's made me more thoughtful when you know you're in the middle of stuff and you see people who are, who are reaching out to you. I mean, it definitely has changed my perspective on that, you know, because of you see people who show a compassionate side. And so you want to, to do the same thing. I mean, in the, in the short term, I came out in a pretty weird place. I mean, I was, you know, when I got to CBS, I think I was, you know, I was confused and I was like still kind of pissed off and it took me a while to work through that um, because it was so just so surreal and so bizarre. I do think there was one one thing that was kind of funny. I go through the process of starting to interview at other places and it's very on the down low. And one of the places I'm going to meet is with Sports Illustrated and Terry McDonald, who at the time ran SI. And. No one knows this other than my agent who I had just hired and me and probably my wife. And I'm about to go into what was it, the time time building? The time and life building that I worked in for, you know, seven years. Yeah. So I, I walk over there and I'm like, shit, how am I going to do this? Because I've been in your offices, you know, a couple of times before that. And it's not very big, and there's like you're gonna run into some people. I knew a lot of those. I knew a lot of your SI people. Well, the magazine and the website were on different floors then. So if you were meeting with Terry McDonald, you theoretically could have snuck in there. In fact, you did sneak in there without seeing me or well, you anybody were. Of the dot com. I called you, and I think I was like, right. I was like, shit, I gotta call him. So I called you. Andy doesn't work in New York, so I wasn't right. worried about him. Um, but I called you, and as it turned out, I think you were in Brooklyn at home. Now, okay. the other weird part was one of the people who was pretty high up at SI is, uh, I think her name is Stephanie Krasnow. Right. And her husband, Dan Kaufman, was one of my bosses at ESPN Insider. And like, now she probably knew I was going to interview there because I imagine Terry would have spoken. But what was, you know, it was interesting because of all the places I interviewed, his perspective you know, I think he was friendly with John Walsh and friendly with a lot of higher up ESPN people. But he was like, hey, you have this platform why, and you're already selling subscriptions, able to sell subscriptions for your content. Why don't you kind of go on your own and, and you know, do that business model? And I just remember thinking, well, I'm not a business guy and I don't want to have to account, you know, like factor in, OK, I'm going to go on the road to this game. And it just, you know, that just wasn't for me. But it was like an interesting you know, thought process. And he was a, that's, it's interesting. I never heard you say that he was a little ahead of his time there. Cause that was still several years before the, the rise of sites like Grantland and MMQB and the verdict, you know, writers kind of taking things into their own hands a little bit, though all those ones I just mentioned had the backing of a, of a major media company. Well, all in all. So, I mean, obviously it was extremely hard thing to go through, at the end of the day, I would think you would say it all worked out for the best. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where in the middle of it, you were so angry and, and kind of stunned. You know, like, I mean, I'll say this. When I was at ESPN 17 years, I never thought I would leave for another place. And the part that 
is, you know, is tough is a lot of my closest friends in the business are still there. And so it made, it was almost like a little bit of a divorce at, a, at times. Um, one other thing that I've realized coming out of it was there are a handful of people who I would say I had like some awkward friction with who either still worked at ESPN or were, um, you know, in some role there where it was kind of awkward for them and awkward for me. And when I would see them, I just, you know, there was nothing, um, there was no communication. And when over times, I think I would run into, you know, like when I would have like that person would approach me and then they say, hey, I want to clear the air on this or whatever. Or just, you know, you probably hate me. And I, every time that happened and it probably happened, a, you know, a handful of times, I felt so much better that it just there wasn't that tension. There wasn't that whatever, um, because I just don't think you want to carry that stuff around. You know, I mean, one of my closest friends in the business still works at ESPN magazine and I, it was awkward for me with him probably more than he realizes for a while, even though he was supportive of me through it. So it just, it just was weird. And, um, you know, like I said, it's five years is, is, is a long time, I think. A lot of things, uh, I mean, my wife and I just celebrated our five year, uh, wedding anniversary. This, uh, coming October will be the five year anniversary of us moving to California, which frankly, does it seem like that long? No, for you? no, it does. Because after five years, you would think I would like feel like a Californian, and to this day, I still feel very much like an imposter because I don't, mostly because I don't surf or mountain bike or any you know any of these like uh, outdoor activities that a lot of people here do. But uh, I mean, I think the only thing that really makes me. Um, the thing that most makes me feel like not so much a California, but a West Coaster is that now I get really annoyed. Um, it's when I'm back on the central or East coast at having to stay up late to watch sporting events. But, um, no, I'll, I'll, none of those things feel like five years. Uh, anyway, just wanted to, to take you down that trip and give people a little bit of insight. And, uh, obviously, obviously I'm not to be cheesy, but I'm happy that in the end, the, the chain of events that followed led to us both. Uh, at Fox and working together. Yes, very good. Also, I realized the level of support when I ended up, I had a couple of other like grad students do these media thesis on what happened and the situation. And I didn't know this, but like I, 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 the only thing I asked was, Hey, can I read what you've done after you turn it in? And so I would have, I think I had four of these or maybe five of them. And at least one of them, I remember you were interviewed for and I remember reading going, wow, that's very touching. Uh, Gary Parrish as well. I mean, Gary, a basketball writer I worked with at CBS, who I didn't know quite as well. Well, I don't know quite as well. But, um, you know, it's like when you read what people say, you know, it's it's honest, you know, and their opinions. And, and that matters a lot because we're in such a subjective field. And all you can really go by is how you treat people and and how you work. Well, next week you'll be around a whole lot of those people, as why at Hoover, Alabama, where – SEC Media Days has become kind of a, you know, first day of school. Wouldn't you say, like, oh yeah, we're all back in the same place for the first time since the uh, I hate national championship I hate game. School, Stu, it's not first day of school. Oh, I hated school too. <laughs> it's, it's first day of vacation, man. It's first day of uh, I don't know. Uh, I was just saying it's first, like first day of school because you know you you show back up in September and you see all these people who you haven't seen in a few months. How about first day back at? college after a summer break no i I, look i hated school man this is (laughs) different i'm so on the opposite on this one on you but i mean i'm fired up for it it just 
You're yeah. fired up to sit in a big auditorium and listen to press conferences for several days. Yeah, we're talking about football by and large. Yeah, there'll be some stuff that'll be about like regulation stuff. And Sal- I bet you how many let's do an over under on how many questions these guys get about satellite camps. Too many is two is too many. Like I wish we would just it, this seems like an opportune time to kind of turn the page like that part of summer's over. Let's let's put it behind us. But it is the first chance a lot of people had to ask these guys about their first circuit. So people will ask and they'll talk about how it's unregulated and awful and it needs to be changed. And uh, and so you'll be reading a lot of those quotes next week. It's also, you know, <laughs> I was say not to be overshadowed, but it will be overshadowed. It's also Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, later in the week, which yes, I'm going. Gonna... I will fly home for that, so that'll be good. I will. I will tell uh, Matt Liner you send your regards that you're not coming out down to L.A. For yeah, send your send my regards to a lot of people. So um, we went a little bit long today. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I think that was a lot of good stuff, especially with Andy. If you want to email us, as always, it's the Audible Pod at gmail.com and please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We will see you from Hoover.